Ignition sequence start. Hey, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast, baby. Presented by Clutch City Control Room, your home for all things Houston hoops. I'm one of your hosts, Roosh Williams. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at R-O-O-S-H Williams. And I'm your second host, Karthik Prasad, and you can find me on Twitter at StanfordKP. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at ClutchCityCR, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate it. Cool. So today we're going to be talking uh, about a lot of stuff. In the first segment, we're going to cover Game 4, and we're going to talk about James Harden and all things related. Um, In our second segment, we are going to talk about Mike D'Antoni, the coaching and the series, and what adjustments can be made uh, for game five coming up. And we're going to do our best to get to some of the requests or comments that people left us on Twitter. So let's get right to it, man. Game four. Um, yes, sir. I mean, how, how do you feel about game four? What are your thoughts coming out of game four? Not even going into game five yet, but just coming out of game four. I think it was, it was a slow motion train wreck. Like, I think starting at the end of the third quarter, I just, just see kind of it unwinding in a way. It felt like game six of, of the Warrior of the Warriors series where it just didn't feel right. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think it's enough. It, 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 a bad taste, I think they can wipe it out. You know, I think they can bounce back. Um, it was enough of a, hey, that wasn't us. Let's, let's turn the corner. So I'm feeling better about, you know, the next game. But coming out of game four, just uh, – it definitely left a, left a bad taste in my mouth. So when we went up 15 or whatever it was, and when we hit like the eighth one, I think we went up 13, but we eventually went up 15. We were eight of eight. Yep. Uh, I tweeted something, I commented to Ben, and I said something, Ben, Twitter, ben Dubose on Twitter, and I said something to the effect of like, this is reminiscent of, you know, I think I said shades of 2018 game four against Minnesota because, you know, it was 2-1 at the time. And yep. It was, like, dangerously close, for a, especially for a 1-8 matchup. Um, at halftime, it was dangerously close, and I think they had maybe closed a gap or something. I can't remember. But then the Rockets bursted out and hit the, the turbo nuclear button that they previously had, um, you know, and proved, like, hey, we're here, and we're not going to go anywhere. So it felt like yep. that. It felt like, okay, they came alive. They met the challenge. You know, they were kind of slugging through the game. They dropped an easy one that they had wrapped up, slugging through the next game. Boom, they, they woke up like you saw the intensity defensively, like they just looked good. And it was, for a minute, I thought, okay, you know, we're going to wrap this up and, and go up 3 1. But then CP3 hit back to back middies, pull up middies. Yeah. He, he answered us a couple times. I don't know if we exchanged buckets each time or if they got a stop in between, but he was answering with confidence and like wasting no time doing it. And at that point, I started to feel a little uneasy. I was like, okay, if, if the three stop falling and Chris Paul gets in the zone, they're going to come marching right back. And then when Schroeder hit that three at the buzzer, cut it to one, I thought, okay, this is bad, you know, trouble. Yeah. Harden hasn't rested. Um, You know, bringing him in was a waste completely, unfortunately. And I think it was the wrong move. We can get to that that later or now, whatever you want. Um, And, yeah, you knew, like, they they had all the momentum. They zapped the momentum from Houston, and Harden was gassed. So the rotations were off. So it just looked like trouble, and it was. Yeah, I thought I thought bringing back Harden was a panic panic button move. I mean, you had you either trust your team that you trusted all year to pull out of that, and you've got guys. Not only they didn't they didn't have guys that, that are good defenders and able to contribute. I mean, that's the reason we have a veteran team. Um, but bringing him back, I mean, it, it was such a you know a, a downside move. I mean, Harden was gassed. I mean, you could see that starting the four minute mark in the fourth quarter, he just lost he just lost steam, and he, he kind of didn't want the grind at that point because he just he was over 40 minutes and um and you know so when we talk about James Harden one of the consistent things that we've seen is like there is a point that he reaches that that fatigue and and kind of the decision making and that and that uh killer instinct starts to wear off and so 
um, that, that to me was, the, was when I started really feeling, uh, uh Oh, this, this is not going well. Um, so it, I think, I think that when we get into the next game, Mike D'Antoni, I mean, that's going to be one one piece of it, but he, he can't press the panic button. And that was to me a, a big, a big domino to fall late in the third um, and probably gave Oklahoma city a ton of confidence because Chris Paul then sat, sat for the first three, four minutes of the fourth came in fresh and ready to lead another charge. And they had stuck in the game at that point. Um, so for me, that was, um, it was a, that's why I was a slow motion train wreck for, from, from that late third yeah, uh, quarter. Not to even get into like more psychological aspects of the game. Cause really, what do we know? But you have to right. think that, you have to think that to some extent Oklahoma city saw James Harden check right back in and thought, yo, you know, they're, they're panicking. Like, look, Harden's going to be gassed. Like let's run them or whatever. Who knows, who knows what they thought, but right. it sends a signal to them to think, okay, they're deviating from their plan. Cause we, we've got them shook. Right. Um, as dumb as that may sound like that has to play a factor. Uh, so I, to kind of to your point, it does give them confidence. And someone re- responded to us on Twitter, Nade, uh, Nadim, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. But, yeah, he, he asked us, what do you guys think of D'Antoni pulling Harden when we were up 11 in the third, lost the lead, and then brought him back in? Instead of his normal rotation, playing the third and resting the beginning of the fourth, he played, like, 22 minutes in the second half. So, yeah, we're, we're addressing that. Like, you can't do that, you know? Um, like you said, you have to trust the team. And, I mean, the benches looked good without – Yeah. Like, when they've been out there, you know? Um, I, like, it's funny because Mike D'Antoni is known for empowering his players and getting the most out of his players – and, and pumping them up with confidence. But, I mean, if you're Austin Rivers right now, you have to think – you have to have low confidence, right? Like, you know coach doesn't trust you. So, when you go in, you're not playing with confidence. You're playing for your spot and probably playing very tense, right? right? Um, same with Ben McLemore, which McLemore is getting hunted on defense, so they have to figure that out immediately. But, you know, it, it kills your confidence, you know? Um, and then functionally, like, look, if we're only playing six guys in the rotation, 6.5 guys because Rivers played 15 minutes, like – what kind of message are you sending to the team? And, like, what do you expect to get? They're going to gas out, period, you know? Um, right. But we'll get to more, I guess, coaching decisions later. Um, someone, also, someone also asked uh, Derek Giles or Giles, however you say that, I think it's Giles, says Houston playing low, low IQ defense. So uh, I want to talk about the defense. Dennis, yeah. Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder ripping us to shreds. Um, it seems like guys either didn't read the scouting report or it seems like we just don't have effective perimeter defenders. And I don't know which one of those two it might be. I mean, we, and we've seen them game one and two really lock in. And, and one of the things I commented on in those first two games is our ability to stop dribble penetration. It felt like Oklahoma City just lived on the perimeter and kind of didn't know what to do. And then they started pushing the pace and just saying, hey, you know what, let's spread Houston out and just attack the basket at all costs. Um, but it, it – it also goes back to our first topic. Like when your team is gassed and you're playing a six man rotation, the last thing you can do is stay in front of quick guards. Right. And I think it, it's a compounding domino effect when you've got PJ Tucker trying to battle bigs and then the thing gets switched on the perimeter. Of course, Dennis Schroeder is going to go right by him. Right. And then, so it's a combination too of scouting report plus the, the dominoes of the rotation. I just, I mean, it, it, it didn't look like us. Um, ideally you have guys you're switching in and out. You've got fresh legs. Um, you focus on guarding dribble penetration. Um, when we've looked our worst this year, it's, it's when we've let straight line drives to the basket because that just puts so much pressure on your defense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping they, they just, they have to force the thunder to make a bunch of threes. And I think what happened was early in that game, if you remember game four, the thunder hit like probably five threes in the first like six minutes. And so all of a sudden now Houston started pressing up. And I just think that deviated from the plan and Harden talked about that. I mean, you can't just like get up on shooters that aren't really shooters um, and then allow them to drive by. So I think they'll, they'll, they'll hopefully revert back to the game plan of just making these guys actually shoot and then um, not just allowing blow bys. But what do you think? Yeah. I mean, like you said, we did play good defense, so we've shown we can do that. Um, it's just funny because, like, even Robert Covington, I mean, honestly, on several possessions, he looked like Clint Capella defending Schroeder out there, which is painfully ironic. But um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, when you have a guy like Schroeder and, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, specifically, both of them are killing us, um, what you're supposed to do is give them that cushion. Schroeder has, like, one move to the right. That's his main move. Right. Just, just, he's going to get the step on it. So you give them the cushion. I think 
I think Nathan Fogg, if I'm remembering that correctly on Twitter, posted great article. Yeah, posted yeah. something about um, Schroeder's pull-up numbers, and I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure his numbers off the, from three on a pull-up three are not good, right? So give him the yeah. pull-up. He seems to hesitate when he takes it. I've seen some clips Nathan broke down. He seems like it's not his confident shot. Um, so concede it, you know, and cheat on the step. Cheat on your left side, the defender's left side, Schroeder's right side on the right, you know, first step dribble. Cheat on that. And that's how you play him, in my opinion. Like, obviously, I'm not an NBA player, so duh. Right, right. You know, but with those kinds of guys, like, I think that's how they got to play him. But they're pressing up. And to your point, I agree with that. Uh, you should never press up a non-shooter, which is one of my, like, pet peeves about college basketball. Um, coaches, you know, coach, you know, pressure, like, yeah. centers that are definitely not shooting from 23 feet out. Um, but, but, yeah, and so you have to play them smart. And that's the annoying thing about OKC. And that, that's one of the reasons that I was worried about them coming in. They're a calculated team. They're, they're a high IQ team, right? They, they make – they do better with the sum of their parts than, like, their individual parts, you know? So – Yeah. Because, you know, they play high IQ basketball. So they're not going to give up on, on any possession. Every possession to them is calculated. Of course, that's an exaggeration, but, you know, they're, that's kind of like their mantra. Houston is more so, like, playing option basketball. You know, they're going to read the defense. They're going to let Harden run with it. Sometimes Harden's going to drive and kick and give it up. You know, and – and, it's also why they crumble late, unfortunately. But um, so the point is, look, in order to beat Oklahoma City, you have to play smart defense and focus defense on every possession, right? Uh, you can't get lazy because if you do, they will take advantage of you. Um, and I don't think I'm scared as to whether we can do that, especially if the rotation is so short. I think in order to do that and to keep up the, the, the pace of play and the tempo that, you know, Houston wants to do, you need to have more than six and a half guys playing. You know, like there's just really no excuse for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it, that triggered two thoughts. Number one on the pace. It was interesting the comments coming out of game four where all the Oklahoma chatter was we've got to play faster. And I actually think that plays into their hands. I mean, they, they have guards and speed on the perimeter and they're going to want to get straight to the rim and force us to get back. That tires us out on both ends. Um, and, and so there's some aspect of, I think we wanted to play faster too, but then that ended up playing into their hands. Um, and I think you'll, you'll see maybe a reversion back to slowing the pace down. Cause what that does is limit kind of the Oklahoma city, like runs in terms of they're not one to actually jack a lot of threes and, and put up 20 points in, in, in a minute, if you, if you don't let them and if you kind of control the pace. Um, and then I thought, you know, late in that or mid third, late third, when, and we've talked about this so many times that when we start just sh- shooting threes early and deep threes early in the, cl- in the shot clock, it leads to runouts, And then they just punish you with easy layups or mid range jumpers. Right. And um, that plays into their hands and it's just extremely tiring. And it leads to me, for me, it's the biggest, biggest weakness of the Harden only attack is where you have this option read and react system. Harden's always, he is, he's trained to find the open man. Um, and what that means is, is like, they, they will hunt threes instead of getting the easiest, the easier basket right in front of them. And there's at least four or five times where Harden got into the paint, the deep paint, like where they're restricted circle and passed out. And I it just, it, you've got to take a couple of layups in that, in that, um, in those scenarios to keep the scoring moving. Um, and so, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, I was going to say to that extent, um, I think I remember one, one scenario. I don't remember what the score was. I think it was a one-point game. We might have been down one or up one. And he got right there. Like, I thought he was about to finish. Yeah. And he just last second whipped it to the corner, and I think P.J. missed it. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, P.J. Was PJ. Yep. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, that could be the game right there, you know, because every yeah. bucket matters at that point. Um, and I wanted to say further to your point, um, when the Rockets get up, man – I say this on Twitter, or I think I do at least, when they get the lead, you know, the variance can also kick in and often does and results in them surrendering the lead, right? So when yeah. they're – I just wish that once their style of play got to the level where it was working and, yo, we got a 15-point cushion. What was it, 90-75? I can't remember. When it gets to that point, like you said, now you control the pace. Now you just – Easy baskets. Easy baskets, man. Build it with – you know, try to get to the bucket and get twos because if you're getting stops on top of that – all of a sudden you're up like 23, 25, you know, but if you're just having fun launching flat footed 30 footers, 
they're going to get the rebound and they're going to come roaring back, you know, or if you're just dancing yeah. on the perimeter, you're going to get ripped and they're going to come roaring back. And that's what they did. So I wish that, that Houston would, you know, put more of a concerted effort towards controlling the game and being more intentional when it comes to their tactics, instead of just running and gunning at all times, you know? I mean, th- this has been the signature of, of Harden, Eric Gordon, and, and Mike D'Antoni last four years. Is that is that mid third quarter they're up double digits and they start ho- ho- hoisting threes, and that's why Chris Paul is brought in. That's why Russell Westbrook in, insists on getting to the rim in those situations. But if they just work the clock, Harden got to the rim, or God forbid, got in the post. Like, you, not only do you milk more clock and reduce the amount of Oklahoma City possessions you probably get a better shot like you you can at least guarantee one and a half or two one um one to one and a half points each possession because you're actually getting a shot <laughs> um a jeff green, yeah. a jeff green james harden pick and roll pick and roll opens things up so much and they did not run it i don't know if they did but it seemed like they did not run it at all especially when it mattered like yeah. oh you're up 15 run that play put pressure on the defense Make Jeff Green wear them down, finishing at the rim. And if they collapse on Jeff yeah. Green, wide open shots, and Harden's not working for it. Like, I just don't understand how Mike D'Antoni sits on the sideline, watches this unfold, and never once thinks to himself, hey, let me whistle in Harden's ear, yo, run this now, you know, do it. And if, if he does, then maybe I'm wrong. But, and if he does and Harden waves him off, then we have a different issue on our hands. But I don't think he does. I don't ever see it. I don't, we never, you know. And so, There's too many options. There's too many – in those scenarios, I mean, you don't want the read and react. What you want is two-man game, predictable, put a bunch of pressure every time and go for an easier shot. And, like, this is not rocket science to use. I mean, every team in the clutch or those type of momentum situations goes to their bread and butter. Yesterday in the Lakers, they just ran, they just dumped it to Anthony Davis for five straight possessions when, when uh, Portland was trying to make a run. He just, he just shot an easy shot. He got to his spot, shot a shot. I mean – you have to put your best players in position to score. Um, so, yeah, that was that was painful. But hopefully, you know, they, they've learned that and seen, hey, like, let's get back to basics and just stay disciplined. Just stick to the game plan, um, both defensively and offensively. Try and get good quality shots in those moments and be prepared for it. I mean, they, it's not like they haven't experienced this before. Um, but ho- we'll see if, if uh, they, can, they can learn from it. So to give uh... – a metaphor for what I'm talking about, by the way, when I'm talking about once they get the cushion and, you know, they need to maybe play differently to protect the lead and subsequently build the lead. Um, it's like in football, man, you get up big and do you start dropping back and checking? Yeah. No, you run the ball, you protect the ball, you waste the clock, you get there, you know, you get across the finish line and you keep them at bay and it generally works yeah. um, unless, you know, whatever. And the defense gets tired of defending the run. Of course, exactly. Yeah. Right? It's just like holistically wears them down and it works across the board and it works because it helps you preserve your guys and just make it, you know, keep holding the lead deep in the game so you don't just collapse and fold. Instead of, you know, running your biggest horse out there at max speed, gassing them out before you even get across the finish line and let the lead evaporate, yeah. right? So with that said, um, let's wrap this first segment up by talking about Harden. And, yeah. you know, I... I referenced the 30 foot, the 30 foot flat footed shots. Uh, his decision making was pretty awful down the stretch. He was most likely gassed. Um, so it could be like a chicken egg situation. You know, is it Harden? Is it, is it D'Antoni? Whatever. Um, but yeah, his decision making down the stretch was poor. Specifically, even if he was gassed, what I cannot forgive him for are the two turnovers late, the one where he tried to whip that pass into Eric Gordon on the baseline. Like, in a tight game where you need a bucket, you cannot risk that difficult pass to fit into that, that window, especially, yep. especially if Gordon has not already broken to the rim, you know, and you're just anticipating it. And then the one to Gallinari at midcourt, I think they were down one with under a minute left and they got the stop and they were like, okay, cool, yeah. we, can, we can come down and still win this. And he just lazily chunked it for no reason. Um, so what do you think of Harden's decision-making down the stretch and his overall play? And down the stretch, meaning, you know, when he came Last back – yeah, well, last five minutes, but, I mean, I'm talking the fourth quarter, really. But, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I, I thought I thought he – there was a period probably, I don't know, between the five and three-minute mark where actually I think, like, he huddled with Russ and, like, the next two possessions we got looks at the rim. And I thought, okay, like, maybe, you know, they, they're making a concerted effort. And I just think there was some breaking point right around the three-minute mark um, that you could just tell he was gassed. I mean, the way he was walking to 
the huddles, the way he was walking up the court, the way he was just letting um, guards run by him. I mean, he just, I think he reached a, a, a fatigue point. And at the end of the day, he's human. I mean, this is why you have to protect your star players for those situations. I mean, if you are at that fatigue level, you will not make good decisions. I don't, I don't care who you are. It's just like, how do you make sure that you don't get to that point? Um, but it seemed like he, he knew that he, I think he knew that he didn't have it. He didn't have that left. Um, and so he tried to give the ball up. He tried to defer. Uh, we saw that last year at the same time point. I think the early fourth quarter too was a, a bit weird because it was like right when he came back, Mike subbed him the game in an early fourth. It was a lot of step back threes. And that's when I thought like he could have, I was more, annoyed with that decision-making because he had the energy and that should have been when he, and Chris Paul was off the floor. That should have been when they were, they, they got their cushion back. Um, Why not try him in the post when he's tired? Yeah. And, and this, this goes into coaching. We'll get into this after the break, but like that's, that's to me how you protect your play. I mean, LeBron, that's what, I mean, LeBron is so good at this where he can live on the perimeter for a half, but he will get himself in the post to create other opportunities. I mean, there's got to be that innate gene too for Harden to like be like, hey, like if I don't have it, let me conserve energy on offense while still creating offense, right? And I and I think that that's, um, I don't know if we'll see it again, but I mean, one of the things I was commenting on last night was just like he used to do that, like he used to get those easy easy shots for himself where it wasn't as hard to shoot. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it it it, it was predictable. It was predictable, and when he started taking those step backs when he came back in or whenever he was in in the early fourth is when I was like, oh, man, it's over because either those are going to drop or they're not, and he's tired, so I, do not, I don't think they're going to drop, you know? And, like, right. I hate being subjected to that. Um, and I think that it, it speaks to the flaw with D'Antoni. I mean, people talk about D'Antoni having a system, and they talk about, um, you know, his system – you know, boosting what players do and how they produce. But the irony is that over the last three years, he had, or last two years, he hasn't had a system or last three years, really. When, once we, once we went full ISO, like there is no system. It's just hardened. It's all hardened. Basically it's like, it's like when uh, you play NCAA 2004 with Virginia tech and you got Marcus Vick and you would just drop back and do a quarterback run every time, or you do like an option play and, you know, pitch it. Right. Like, yeah, if you don't turn right. fatigue off, he's going to be dead by the fourth. Right. So like that's a that's a video game in real life. You can't just ride hard and play after play after play. Like he can't it can't just be hard as the offense. It can be theoretically like we can win regular season games like that. You know, we can win playoff games like that. We've won two of them. And, you know, they fumbled away two more. But it shouldn't be like that, which, you know, we can talk about later tying into protecting your player. But if D'Antoni would run a system then maybe he could protect Harden. So. His decision making was poor, um, you know, and I also it's compounded by by Mike. Yeah, it's compounded by Mike, but I also question how much of that is Harden, and how much of that is him refusing to, you know, accept the fact that like, hey, kind of like uh, with Michael Jordan, right? The the stereotypical like story that they always tell is, oh, you know, Jordan did it all himself, and once he trusted his teammates, that's when it started working. <laughs> championships, right? Who knows if that's some like mythical BS that they made up or if it's true? But you have to think like. Harden at some point has to realize, yo, I'm gassed and I got some guys around me that can do a couple things. You know, we can play a different way for periods of time so we can win the game. You know, like I can at least figure out, like when I play, I hate talking about when I play basketball because I'm not an NBA player, but nothing close to an NBA player for the record. But you just think that even though he's tired, you've got to find ways to get to the basket, right? You can't just put it all in the hands of a heat every time. You just can't. And you can't put it in the hands of, like, people call them open shots, and I'm sure NBA.com tracks them as open shots. But when P.J. Tucker catches the ball at his hip and a defender's closing out on him, that is not an open shot. You know, it is a contested shot. There's no guarantee he's going to make that. So, like, like we were talking especially about. Especially late in the clock. Especially late in the clock, especially late in the game when he's gassed, too, when he's played 30, 42 minutes. Like, it's just common sense. And I don't know if they have numbers that speak to the contrary, which is why they are so steadfast on running what they do. But it seems like to the average Joe, like, yo, this isn't sustainable. And then you look at the results and it's like, yo, this is the sustainability. Sustainability of this is literally subject to that of a coin flip. Why would you do this to yourself? You know, when you're up 15, right. late third, like, what does the probability say, you know, that you're going to win? And why, why do you like just mess with that variance? You know, I, I don't understand. So 
And I don't, and, and yeah. wrap it up. I don't understand how much of that is James Harden being, you know, uh, I don't want to say ignorant, but just refusing to accept certain things and make certain adjustments. And how much of that is Mike D'Antoni um, telling him like, Hey, keep going, keep going. So I don't know, but uh, we will right. take a break and we'll come right back. Support for this podcast comes from AT&T. All right. So there are a lot of reasons to like AT&T 5G. Check this out. My friend Lisa, who is a professional race car driver and base jump wingsuit enthusiast, likes AT&T 5G because it's fast. My friend Terry, who's a bodyguard who once also wrestled a hyena when he got too close to his client on safari, likes AT&T 5G because it's secure. And my friend Sasha, who's a librarian and hasn't missed a day of work in 27 years, not even that time she broke both her legs and had the measles, likes AT&T 5G because it's reliable. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's fast, secure, and reliable. And now nationwide. AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires a compatible plan. 5G may not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for 5G coverage details. And we're back for the second half of the Launchpad podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop a review or leave us some stars. Um, as we were talking before the, the break, um, one of the the things that has been top of mind for Rockets fans is Mike D'Antoni as coach, and especially some of the things we've consistently seen from the him and the team um, each postseason. Um, so, Roosh, looking looking back at Game Four and Mike's performance, and then looking ahead into Game Five, what what sticks out? What's top of mind for you as it relates to Mike D'Antoni as coach? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, then you know I'm not I'm not happy with them. Um, and I mean, look. I think it starts with him bringing Harden back in, which we talked about, but uh, it was a panic move. It was a poor tactical move. It was not well thought out. Um, And I think, unfortunately, I think that that kind of speaks to the larger picture of the coach that he is, you know, he's got a really good base system, a really good, you know, fundamental um, backdrop for what the offense should be and for what the team should be. But once he's put on his heels, um, you really see, you really like see what he's got in his bag and it's not a lot, you know, it really is nothing, honestly. Like it was putting James Harden back in like, congratulations, man. You're going to throw the star back in. That's all you got. You know, you can't figure out a way to protect right. the lead without James Harden. Like, come on. Um, so yeah. And like, and kind of tying into what we talked about earlier, just the, just the inability, either the complete rejection and rejection of, or the complete inability to um, make uh, a tactical decision to kind of slow things down and protect the lead. Understanding this is the playoffs. It's not the regular season and putting like a human element to it. Like AJ Hinch, right? I think one of the big things that people loved about AJ Hinch, uh, when, especially when the Astros won the world series was he, he blended the numbers and the analytics. And he also put like his human touch on it. Right. Um, for example, right. when he would split, I uh, forget, you know, I forget what game it is off the top of my head. I think it was game seven of the ALCS 2017 when it was Charlie Morton and then just Lance McCullers, like that was it, right? Yep. So like that was like an abnormal move and it's not what the numbers were telling him to do, but he just rode with it because it felt right and it worked, right? So things like that, like Dan Tony's just a, in my opinion, he's just a placeholder. Like we were talking about off, off screen um, or off the mic, what value does he bring, you know? I think I really honestly believe if the Rockets showed up to play without Mike D'Antoni, they would play pretty much the exact same way. And I think that at this point, it would bring value to the team and it would be in their benefit to bring a coach that can shore up some of the things Mike can't. Give me some X's and O's, you know, like when, when Harden's not working late or when the read reacts not working late, what else do we got? You know, when Dennis Schroeder goes off back-to-back games for 25-plus, how do we adjust to that? You know, he, Mike has no answer. His answer is simply trusting in his player to do the right thing, which is vague and means nothing, you know? So it's, it's, it's been his downfall. It's, it's the thing that has propelled him to where he's at because he can empower players. He can just make them play yep. loose three, and that's great. But all that goes out the window when you blow a 15-point lead in game four of the playoffs. You know, all that goes out the window and when everyone's tired, right? So then what do you have? And so that's my main criticism of him. Um, and that's why I don't trust the Rockets in the playoffs, right? Like I said from the, for a long time, I've said we got a 50-50 shot, assuming Russell's healthy, which he's not. Um, I don't think we'll go all the way without Russell whatsoever. But if Russell is healthy, the Rockets have a 50-50 shot because Harden and, and Russ are good enough 
to win, you know, four games out of seven for you just by going off. And we got enough shooters that the threes will drop. Right. And without, without Russ, you're seeing he is just ultra-reliant on Harden. He's not going to pull any strings. He's not going to do anything. Um, and, and that bites you in the butt, especially in situations like the inbound play in game three. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like what kind of coach like – what kind of coaching is that? We don't have an inbound play twice in a row. First of all, what kind of coach at this point has not told Harden to not do the push-off late in games? Like, why does Harden not know? Why is Mike D'Antoni not in his ear saying, hey, CP is going to flop. Don't do the push-off, you know? Like, don't even create that drama. Just get open and get the ball. That's it, right? Like, I would be – that would be in my mind. When I'm watching it on TV, I'm like, yo, CP is about to flop. Like, don't, don't do right. it. You know, you, you should know better. Right. Why isn't Mike D'Antoni doing that? And if he is, then maybe Harden is just, like, out of there. That's part one. Part two is um, I think the Rockets were up 103-101, and then Shea, CP3, you know, drives, kicks to Shea, goes just Alexander, hits the three, and then they go down. And then we almost win it, but Daniel House misses the free kick. <laughs> but even to get to that point, um, Harden has five fouls. Why is Robert Covington not on the floor? On the bench, yeah, yeah. Right? And if you're, you know, if it's some BS about he wants to empower Harden and make him feel like a, you know, a solid defensive player, well, my boy – that backfired terribly, you know? Like, what kind of crap is that? Cole Harden, offense, defense, even if that's your justification, he had five fouls. So he's not going to, like, you know, why would you even put him out there in that situation in case you need him for overtime, you know? Put Robert Covington on the floor. So those are just terrible uh, coaching principles and moves that you see, and it costs you a playoff game. And all of a sudden, it might cost you a playoff series. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, to me – this was a it was a PTSD almost of exact same type of misfires as we saw last year, like to the T in terms of rotations, late game execution, um, not not having discipline in the game plan, and, and you know you, you opened with I mean we were talking off mic like what value does Mike D'Antoni provide? I think what got me yesterday was they'd actually shown things in the bubble that we thought, Hey, actually that's good. Like you should do more of that. Like you should have off, you know, players cutting off ball. You should have other ways to get guys involved. You should have Harden getting more off ball opportunity. We saw that in the bubble. They had three months to prepare for these situations and they did. But when it got to those clutch situations, they abandoned them. And I think it's that patience and that discipline to stick with what, you know will actually work versus writing it out um, and falling back on Harden, falling back on your your old ways. Um, that's what got me is because it, it it's not yet ingrained in him, in him um, to adjust because he, he he took a different route um, when they needed him to actually stick to the principles. And that to me, if I'm Daryl Morey and I'm a general manager and I say, hey, you're going to run into this situation – I'm going to prepare you for the situation. And then you abandon that preparation. That would be, I would be pulling my hair out as a, as a manager generally. Um, but let alone, you know, with a lot riding on this season. So that, that was topic one. And then to the discussion we were having before, I mean, the, the offense works. I think it's ingrained in the team. Now it's as, as much a part of Harden's DNA as anything. Um, he knows how to run it. And this is, but, but at the same time, this is what you need. You need a coach that's going to, actually get you to listen to when you need to do something different. Right. And that's, I, I think that ability for Mike to go and tell James, Hey, get, get in the post and get some easy shots or, Hey, let's run the two man game. Um, and not just and he, he talked about yesterday and, and, and it triggered some alarm bells of like you, the players play, they have to read and react and like know what to do. I mean, the whole reason you're out there is to get them through those situations as a coach, right? Like that. You can't just say in every time they're going to make a hundred percent right decisions when there's four or five options for them to choose. Yeah. It, it, that it just defeats the point for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if, if this is, you know, luckily they have two games to correct it. Um, and, you know, hopefully Mike is kind of taking some time to be like, Hey, like we can't put ourselves, we've been, we did that before. We've got to control the game better. Um, so we'll see. I think, I mean, this is why Russ was an equalizer. It's why CP3 was a great fit. But Russ kind of says, nah, screw that. I, I, what we need right now is a bucket. So I'm going to go get a bucket. <laughs> like, it's almost like I'm going to throw your kind of, if you're going to ride the wave, ride my wave type of thing. Um, and so it was kind of a natural uh, yin and yang with Harden. Um, but, 
yeah. I mean, it, it was not a great coaching performance uh, for Mike D'Antoni yesterday. And, and, and really from the second half of game three, because they should have won that game easily. And they should have, they should have won once they're up 15, you got to close the door. I mean, the great coaches closed the door. Popovich wouldn't let that happen. I mean, like you go down the list, nothing, uh, nobody would have let that happen in that, in that same fashion that we've seen before. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that topic is, uh, is, is at this point, I think a lot of Rockets fans are on this same page. If they see, if, if we see this again tomorrow, I think it's going to be, um, an uprising, but given that and given tomorrow, how are you thinking about some of the adjustments we can make knowing Mike D'Antoni, knowing this team, um, let's give them the benefit of the doubt for saying like, at the end of the day, we want them to win. What, what adjustments can you see coming? Um, especially given how Oklahoma city has responded, especially given, um, Russ being out now for game five. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's going to start with deepening the rotation. You know, you have to trust the guys you've got. Russ isn't playing. You have eight people that are going to play. Um, you need to play them, you know, because you cannot risk these guys getting tired. If they get tired and they drop game five, it might – I mean, it's over, unfortunately. You know, it's not over, but, mm-hmm. like, it, it looks bleak at that point. Um, they're yeah. gassed. They have no confidence. Like, unless Russ can, comes back to save things, like, it's going to be a tough hill to climb. So, you have to keep them fresh. You have to keep your, your guys that were – winning you ball games, playing, you know. I understand that Macklemore is getting hunted, and I called that before the series. I think anyone that rewatched um, or that watches the Rockets period knew that Macklemore was going to get hunted on switches. So you need to figure out a way to hide him. Um, you know, they do like a scram switch that Ali Kambijani's detailed on yeah. Twitter. Um, they just have to be – one thing that I don't understand is they, they submit to the switch every time, you know. And you don't have to go – you don't have to switch and go under every single screen. You can fight screens, especially with a guy like Chris Paul, um, who's not going to do a blow by. And if he does, then, you know, let him get corralled by the defense. Like Chris Paul's not going to pull a three in your grill. If you go, um, you know, if, under if, the, yeah, yeah. if you don't switch the screen. So I just don't understand why they're like letting all the switches happen. You know, like I'd be training Macklemore to fight screens, you know, um, which sounds dumb and simplistic, but like I said, if you let them do what they want to do, they're going to do it as dumb as that sounds, but like you have to figure out a way to stop them from doing it. But if you watch the rocket, they don't, a lot of times they'll just do the switch. Um, well, and, and related to Ben, I think, I mean, the biggest thing for me is he wasn't, he wasn't getting opportunities to shoot the ball yeah, and he's if he's going to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Get him opportunities to get shots. Uh, and certainly that's a schemable thing um, to me, at least uh, different sets or different, you know, different looks, um, different, you know, starting positions in the court so that he's moving to the ball. He's, he's getting open. I mean, sure. He'll get hunted, but if he's definitely not shooting threes, then yeah, that's a disaster. <laughs> if he can at least knock, if he knocks in one or two threes, all of a sudden the, the gravity shifts on the court. So um, that's one adjustment to me is can they get him going? Cause he's kind of there. He's their best pure shooter right now. And um, can, can that kind of, far and you know, right. they, they aren't using him. So like, yeah, exactly. You, you have to get him involved. Um, and then the other thing is what really stood out to me from game four is the Rockets made 23 threes. Were they 23 or 59? I think something like that. Mm-hmm. Made 23 yeah. threes and lost. And that is alarming. So how do you, um, you know, how do you counteract that? Or how do you figure that, figure out that that doesn't happen again? Um, but yeah, so the first step is you got to go into the bench. You got to get production out of Macklemore. Rivers is one of your best creators off the dribble and if the whole idea is to put pressure on the defense by breaking them down and trying to play guys like Steven Adams off the floor you're going to need Austin right. to break people down off the dribble and you're going to have to get in his ear it seems like Dan Tony doesn't I have no idea but you have to get into his ear about being a creator he doesn't have to you know lay everything up he can drive and kick you know he can be a secondary source because he kind of when he only drives to finish you know it becomes well is Austin on or not because if he's off and his finger rolls aren't working you know, it's just a missed layup and it's worthless. And he's falling down on the floor and he's not getting back on defense. Worthless play. Um, but if he's driving and kicking and if he's driving with a purpose to dish, it changes. But he never does that. He does it very rarely. Um, so you have to get into his ear about I mean, being a second creator. What? No, I mean, I, I, I would love that. But at this point, given the way they were chucking threes, I will take some straight line drives. I will take him or Eric Gordon just getting to the basket and actually trying to score at the basket. Because if they launch 63s, 
I mean, they're not going to shoot 40% again, right? And so we're in probably for a little bit of shooting regression, and we're going to have to make up for it um, by getting to the to the rim. And certainly driving and kicking, but I just I want pressure on the rim because that's what gets that defense to suck in a little bit, and then all of a sudden your shooters have a little bit of more breathing room. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Austin just has to be – I mean, Austin and Ben, you can't just have them be zeros on offense. And I think that's your basic point, right? Like that, if that's true, then they're going to get yanked. Mike's going to yank them. You're going to burn your other guys to the ground and we'll be in the same position. Um, and and uh, not to be sarcastic here whatsoever, being very truthful matter, as a matter of fact, um, look, if you're not going to play Austin and Ben, uh, Red94 asks, do you think they're saving DeMar Carroll for the finals so teams don't tape <laughs> on him? Is that a risky approach? The most painful part about going down in the first round like this potentially is that you're losing another year of DeMar Carroll's prime and there are a precious few of those remaining. But all jokes aside, if you're not, and I'm, I'm saying if you're not going to use Ben McLemore and Austin Rivers, you have to find someone. Is it Luke at the five for like five minutes? It has to be someone, something. It cannot just be the starters and then Jeff Green and then Austin Rivers and Ben, ben McLemore for like nine to 15 minutes only in the first quarter or first half. It cannot be that, or you're going to lose, you know? Um, and then to that point, run more plays through Jeff Green, you know? He's, like, we yeah. need playmakers. You know, Eric Gordon actually had a pretty good game. He had a poor fourth quarter, so it kind of negated everything, but he had a good game leading up to that point. And he was getting to the rim. He was doing all the right things. Use that, you know, use that more. I can't believe I'm saying that. But use that more when it's on. Um, use Jeff Green yeah. in, the, in the pick and roll. Like, pick and roll them. You know, one thing that they used to do, they used to not do late that always pissed me off when they had Capella was they never ran the pick and roll. Like they'd start the game with pick and roll lob, pick and roll lob, pick and roll finish, pick and roll kick, you know. they just start the game right. like They never would finish the game like that, you know. Um, and I like Jeff right. off the pick and roll. Use it down the stretch, dude. Don't just harden ISO down, down the stretch. And then I think defensively. Two-hand games. Yeah. And then defensively they have to make a lot of adjustments. Um I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Or, like, to me, it's all describing, like, different ways of guarding. Like, like we said, like with a guy like Schroeder, I mean, you got to shade. You just got to know how to guard him because they're going to switch you and they're going to ISO you. And that's kind of what they've been doing. Um, and it's been working for him. Shea's been, been getting to the basket. Schroeder's been getting to the basket. CP gets to his, his spot and hits the mid-range. You know, Gallinari's been shooting decently, I think, like 36%. Uh, Steven Adams will start the game with a couple post-ups. Like, they're getting a lot of contribution by committee. Um, and I think it just speaks to poor individual defense, you know. Now, hopefully, hopefully, I, I theorized um, that maybe they were, the NBA was trying to replicate some home court advantage, and maybe this is far-fetched. They're trying to replicate some home court advantage because you saw mm -hmm. the calls in games three and four, so maybe that axes uh, come game I mean, five, you know, and that was a big deal. Yeah, I you know, they had a lot of free throw attempts that they did not deserve, frankly, and the Rockets didn't get a lot that they did deserve. And if you look at game one and game two, it was a lot different. And I think Clutch fans posted the discrepancy and that this was the Rockets' lowest the whole season. And I'm sorry, but – That's insane. That, they were getting <laughs> – Right. If they had their lowest free throw attempts of the whole season, then, like, give me in the playoffs, magically, give me a break. You can't tell me that – It's an outlier. Yeah. Right. You have so, to pay attention to outliers. And I think that, you know, that should hopefully revert. So if I had to guess, I think – There'll be some natural adjustments in this, in the sense of we'll probably make a, a few less threes, so that's negative, but we'll probably get to the line more, so that's positive. Um, so, uh, you know, offensively, I think we'll be right there in the 115 to 120 point mark. Um, I think defensively, to your point, um, it's got to, it starts with limiting their possessions and fast break opportunities, um, which means you've got to get good shots on the other end, and then you know, staying in front, I mean, giving that, that right cushion, being disciplined on that cushion on their, on their guards, make them shoot over the top. I mean, we, the one thing we actually have when we get PJ Tucker and Robert Covington switched on is, is length to contest. Like you have built-in length. If Robert Covington puts his arm up, then he's going to be in the face of Dennis Schroeder. Like you don't, I mean, you can give him that okay. extra foot so that you, you can actually re recover to the rim. Um, so that discipline on the perimeter is going to be a big Big thing, or, and or you know, more time for Austin Rivers to actually lock in on some of these guards. Um, we know he can actually do that. So um, I think they're just simple adjustments they can make and get back to the, the two man games. And, and those moments, there'll be a few moments, and we'll, we'll know when they happen of getting good shots 
um, putting your best players in positions to actually get good shots. Um, and so we'll see, but I mean, it, it's not to me, some new unlock. It's like getting your team involved, um, Ben and Austin and others, and then not straying too far from the game plan offensively and defensively. Uh, well, like we said, you got to play better. Yeah. Like um, I read one of those comments from, I think it was Derek Giles earlier. He said, low IQ defense. And to speak more to that, like, and to speak to what you talked about with being more disciplined, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just having high IQ on defense. You've got to know how to guard guys. You've got you to know what their moves are. You know, you've got to know how you physically can be best positioned to take away their moves. Like, if they're hitting tough shots and, and you're playing good defense, that's one thing. But they are just blowing by on the perimeter. Even PJ. Right. PJ's, so easy. PJ's looked like shuffle-footed um, on the perimeter, which, I mean, to me has been kind of uncharacteristic. He usually has pretty good feet. Um, but, yeah, like, like, I just don't think that they are locked in possession by possession, you know, um, because, you, like, there are ways to push these specific players to their worst, and they're not being pushed to their, to their weaknesses. They're just kind of getting their first option strength. Um, and that's just yeah. – that's just bad defense. It's undisciplined defense. It, to me, it speaks to somebody not being in their ear, someone not breaking this down on film. Like, I really wonder, are they breaking these plays down on film? Like, yo, look what you did here. This is how we need to fix it. Is that, is that the I, I think they are. I, yeah. I mean, from everything I've read, I think they are. I think it's just, I mean, it's a combination of things we've talked about, fatigue and, and discipline and kind of just like locking in mentally in that moment. Um, so I'm hopeful. I mean, I mean, there's no, they're not ahead now, right? It's a tie series. I mean, they are back, they're, they're back in it. Um, and so I'm hoping that that kind of refreshes the focus a little bit uh, for, for the Rockets. But, hey, in the last couple of minutes here, given Russ is out, how are you thinking game five unfolds? Um, any where, – where, where are you tracking? Are you, are you feeling good about it? Are you nervous? Um, do, you, do you think we, we don't have a chance? How, how are you thinking about it? Yeah, so, um, of course, man, I'm nervous. Uh, you know, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm – right now I'm focused on the negatives because, like we talked about, they're recurring from the past. Uh, so it gives you indication to think that they're going to continue to occur. Um, right. And if they do, if they do, you're gonna have a tough time winning the series. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's tough. I think the Rockets are going to slug it out. I don't think they're just gonna come get blown out. But again, will they? I think it's just gonna come down to whether or not they're gonna execute down the stretch. And unfortunately, and the reason that the last two years were so sweet is because the Rockets had Chris Paul to close those games when they needed it and to make, you know, high IQ basketball decisions. And we have seen over the last couple games that we have – the Rockets have not made high, high IQ basketball decisions down the stretch um, consistently. So that gives, me, that gives me reason to worry. I'm, I think the Rockets will win. I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I haven't not watched the Rockets playoff – I haven't not watched the Rockets playoff game um, intentionally. I don't wow. think ever. The only time I did that I can remember was last year. Uh, I missed game six of the – I missed the game six, so I had to go back and rewatch that. Oh, God. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I missed game six because I was graduating law school. But I'm not going to watch game five because I am, I'm that worried. I really think, and I want you to touch on this, if, if the Rockets lose this series and if, if Russ doesn't come back, it's a very, very real possibility. Um, which, by the way, I think I deserve a little credit for. I got flamed up before, before the series for making my predictions. But OKC has kind of proved me wrong. I mean, proved me right, I think. Um, but – I'm worried because of Harden's legacy and I'm worried because, you know, the Rockets are, are on the verge of potentially becoming nothing more than like the early 2000s Kings. And that's, that would be so unfortunate if that's how it played out. So I'm worried. Um, But, but nonetheless, I'm going to pick Rockets to win. Uh, I'm going to pick the Rockets to win 111 to 102. Um, Key to look out for again, it's the bench. Every, every game, every team uh, or each winner in this series had a bench that was outproducing the other bench. And that I think yeah. is the, the key here. And like I said, on Twitter, Oklahoma city's bench is exclusively the production offensively exclusively comes from Schroeder. So if you stop Schroeder, I think you stop Oklahoma city. So I'm hoping that they make the adjustment. I'm hoping they get to the line. They pull it out. 111, 102 thoughts. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny when, um, I mean, I've, I've known as the more optimistic one of the two of us, but I, I, I actually, when Russ, when the news came that Russ um, was out for game five, I felt like I felt better about the game. I don't know why. 
Um, I don't know why. I can't explain. It. It's not logical. But I just thought they can't be waiting for him. Like, they know that they're not going to have him. They also know they need to win. And, and they also know that the, the, the pressure is now still not on them. And so, to me, it's kind of like game one where uh, you just come out and play your game. And, you know, the pressure being off the um, – they, they need – they're going to be the more desperate team, I think, coming off the two losses. Um, so, that just gave me some, like, natural optimism. I don't know why. Um, but I, I, I think the other other piece is that, you know, I, I, they have to play their bench, and I think their bench will respond. I mean, just, we've seen it, um, especially in the bubble, that we have the veteran teams to go do that. Um, and and I, I, I think uh, – I think we'll win. I had the I have a score of one twenty to one eleven. I think our offense continues to be good, um, and I think Oklahoma City has been shooting a little better than they should be right now. So, um, hopefully, we see some reversion. We get to the free throw line a little bit more, as you said. So, that's I'm feeling good. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, I I'm gonna watch it. I couldn't really watch most of the last game. So, hopefully, if I if I can watch this one, maybe we'll pull it out. Yeah, um, I will say awesome. to your point that uh, I was worried about Russ being inserted because if he if he was being rushed and if he wasn't ready or even if he was ready, he's almost unquestionably going to have some rust. Um, right. To, right. Int- to introduce that element into game five of a playoff series is very dangerous, in my opinion. And it could yeah. it could have played out if he was to play theoretically or, you know, whatever. On one hand, it could play out that they get off to a slow start, he gets off to a slow start, they go down big, you know, and then everyone's confidence is just done at that point. And that would be correct. At, at least the yep. squad Yeah, at least the squad knows what to expect. They've already won a couple. They know they can and they probably think they shot themselves in the foot. So hopefully they come out and they learn from it. Be angry. But, yeah. yeah. Hopefully though, it just awesome. doesn't seem to be the identity of this team. Hopefully I'm wrong. <laughs> um but if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on I iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.